Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are, Deloitte, the Kinetic Enterprise, one of our most interesting shows. And we got a topic for you. So listen up. By the way, Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. You can follow Deloitte on Twitter at Deloitte SAP. There you go. So I have a topic that is going to impact everybody. People say, well, what's happening to automation and artificial intelligence? Is my job going to be taken over by robots, chatbots, some kind of bots? Well, we're going to talk about collaboration instead of substitution today. So let me give you the overview. Artificial intelligence continues to generate high expectations among businesses that are looking to innovate and operate more effectively. That's what everybody wants in business today. Stay in business, be innovative, be efficient, and keep going forward. So, but for all of its promises, AI, which is what we shorthand artificial intelligence, is still just a tool to be used by organizations and the people who make them run. To thrive, businesses will need to master AI AI, wield it strategically, that's a very powerful statement, wield it strategically and drive adoption across the workforce. So stay with us for the next hour and listen as our panel of specialists discuss the potential you, our business audience around the world, can unlock when humans and AI work together and collaborate, as I said in the beginning, instead of substitute in something I've just been introduced to, the age of with. W-I-T-H. It's even trademarked, and we'll find out why. Explore a future vision of work that transcends current physical and digital concepts, where organizations can elevate the workforce experience and unlock new human potential. So it's about making us work better, work smarter, work all effectively, not taking our jobs away. You're going to get insights that can help you plan your intelligent automation journey, craft exceptional user experiences. It's about people having good experiences today, and start building building an automation center of excellence, or COE, as some people call it, to support the future of work. We have Darwin Diano, who hasn't been on a show with me in way too long. Welcome back, Darwin. We have Kosh Morali. Kosh, I just met you recently, so happy to have you here. And another newcomer, Steve Hatfield. Why don't you all just wave hello, because we are recording the Zoom video. And we're going to ask them for their take on the Kinetic Enterprise, empowering people with AI to thrive in the age of with, W-I-T-H. And I said empowering people. I didn't say empowering companies. So we're talking at the human level here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Quick shout out to the sponsors of this series, Helen Tomas and Hasmin Bolanos Flores. But Hasmin is our showrunner. She has recently joined us and we're so happy to be working with her. She's in the background cheering on our panelists. So let's get started here. Darwin Deanna, as I said, it's been way too long. I'm so happy to see you again. I know you're one of the movers and shakers behind the whole concept of the Kinetic Enterprise radio show we started two years ago. So Darwin, I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of reintroducing yourself to our global audience? Darwin, I think there might be four people in the world who don't remember who you are. So talk to those four people. Okay, go ahead. Absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, Very, very happy to be here. Uh, And thank you for all the work that you're doing with the Kinetic Enterprise podcast. Um, So my name is Darwin Diano. I am the global SAP leader for Deloitte. Um, I have the privilege of leading our global SAP business. 
um, and very, very passionate about uh, the kinetic enterprise and our topic today. So thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Darwin, let's get a little more about you. When did you get involved in consultancy? When did you get involved in the concept of kinetic? What does it all mean to you? Um, yeah, you're here because you have a passion about this topic, about workforce, about automation, about AI. So give us a little more background. What, what appeals to you about this that makes it important for you to take your time to be with us today? Yeah, I, absolutely. So um, the kinetic enterprise has always been about being resilient to change, not just surviving, but thriving. And um, that is, you know, most true in the impact to our people, right? And, and, and what's interesting is coming out or going through the pandemic, and we still are, um, has really exposed a lot of orthodoxies that we don't need. So business is changing so rapidly and I think as, um, as, uh, as a consulting partner, as a service provider, uh, it's our duty to, to help our clients basically pursue that resilience, that value, despite rapid, constant change. So that's why I'm here. Thank you very much. Resiliency, another word I didn't mention in my opening, but isn't that really what it's all about? Thriving? I think you need to be resilient in order to thrive. Do you think that's the that's the order? Thank you very much, Darwin. Always a pleasure to have you on. Even my engineer remembered you. Hey, Darwin, it's been too long. So let's now go to our second guest, newcomer to Kinetic Enterprise, Kosh Morali. Kosh, welcome. I'm putting you on full speaker view. Please do us the honor of introducing yourself and what's your passion for the topic? Go ahead. Well, I, I appreciate it, Bonnie. Thank you again for having me on. On the podcast this morning. Um, uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for 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 having me on. Uh, my name is Kosh Morali, senior manager uh, from Deloitte. Um, I actually am here in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. But you know, to be really honest, it's been overcast and rainy for the past few weeks. So maybe a bit of exaggeration, but Chicago it is. Um, Maybe since it's the first time on the panel, uh, I mean, love seeing Darwin here, Steve, good to be here and with everybody, but maybe for the panel, since nobody's kind of heard about me, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a background about myself. Um, from the beginning core, uh, my focus has always been in technology. Um, my, my, actually, my degree has been in computer science uh, with a minor in math. Um, started my professional career, gosh, many, many, many years ago as a uh, Java programmer in a medical device company. Uh, and then just from there, been able to just kind of springboard into more business process, uh, solutioning, getting into ERP, and, you know, some of the core packages that, you know, we've always talked about. Um, I'm fondly known within Deloitte as a boomerang, uh, and, and the definition of a boomerang is somebody who's been with the firm and eventually leaves and boomerangs back into the firm. So uh, first venture into Deloitte was, gosh, as a senior consultant, maybe about 11 years ago, you know, when I was a, a whippy snapper, young little kid, um, and now uh, for the past four years, been happily back, uh, reunited with the Deloitte family. Um, mentioned before, um, my background has been focused completely in technology, um, and in the past three to four years, my core focus has, has pivoted into process automation, artificial intelligence, um, and, you know, quote-unquote AI, specifically within large businesses that are looking to do large transformations. Um, you know, to be honest, I, you know, it's a, it's a pure passion play. It's, a, it's something that I am completely passionate about. 
automation and artificial intelligence, in my opinion, is, is here to stay and will continue to be a game changer in the years to, to, to go forward. As, as you guys said, it'll, it'll, it'll be a foundation for us to thrive upon. Um, I lead our SAP powered by AI practice and uh, where we look to kind of change the way we deliver, how we go to market and spark sort of the next generation experience for companies and their digital transformation. Again, appreciate being here. Thank you for having me on the episode and looking forward to the discussion at hand. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your background. I love when you said you were a young whippersnapper and the boomerang. I thought boomerang related to the boomer demographic generation, but I look at you and I say, no, no, I'm a boomer. <laughs> You're not a boomer yet. So we'll, we'll take the, okay, we'll just leave that. Thank you very much, Kosh. A pleasure to meet you and love the story. Appreciate that. Steve Hatfield, another newcomer. We're so happy that you're with us today, Steve. And I'm going to put you on speaker view and invite you to introduce yourself to our audience. Go ahead, Steve Hatfield. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, everybody. Very excited to be here. Uh, I'm Steve Hatfield, and I lead our efforts globally around the future of work, which is a dream job. So Deloitte began to see some of the trend lines around future of work through our Global Human Capital Trends Report, the largest longitudinal study of its kind. So somewhere around the 2016-2015 the timeframe, we started to see those trends the firm asked me to take on the role in 2018. And so I've had the pleasure of paying attention to these, these substantial trends, both pre-pandemic and post. But you might say, as a bit of background, that I'm a bit of a corporate anthropologist. I have a background in business and anthropology, and I sort of caught the bug for how do societies think about work and their economy when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Mali and West Africa before business school and all of that. But one of my favorite sort of stories about how I sort of ventured my way into this future of work role was that my very first job out of business school was helping Merrill Lynch go online. So I'm a bright, young, post-MBA, 20-something. And this was back in 1996. And Merrill was working to try to figure out its first digital transformation. And in those days, the internet had only about 36 million people on it. It was the kludgy dial-up and all the rest. And uh, today, of course, to give you perspective, about 4 billion people are on the internet. And of course, we're moving into 5G capability. So it's been a dramatic you know, shift over the past you know, couple of decades. But in those days, my job was to help the financial advisors at Merrill get excited about digital transformation and get excited about the internet. And of course, they looked at it and thought, internet, schminternet, my kids play games on that. But as a result, you could see that my very first job out of business school was sort of stepping into well, how do we need to think about these technologies and what they do to transform work and jobs? And how do we help people sort of adapt to them? So I feel as though I've been talking about this now for 30 years. Steve, I love the reference back and the Peace Corps reference as well. But yes, oh, my kids play on play games on the internet on that. Yes, I, I was one of the early adopters in 1994. I had an AOL account. Yeah, and I go. tell the story that my, my neighbors in my building, I was living in a, a building. I was one of the few, quote unquote, working people. I was living in a building on Long Island in a co-op residence. And uh, most of them were uh, business people who'd been industrialists, textile people, uh, corporate, whatever, and consultants. And, and they had no clue about this. So they heard I was doing something called email. So I invited a bunch of my neighbors into my apartment. And they stood there while I got onto AOL and we heard the handshake 
remember? You've got mail. And they said, what are you doing? And it was it was like a revelation. But I think that was 1994. And I also remember that in, I think it was 98, I bought my first uh, desktop computer and a printer and the price tag. Anybody guess what a, what a Macintosh with a black and white printer was in those days? Hmm? $11,000. $11,000. Wow. My, my parents <laughs> loaned me the money because I wanted to be a graphic. I think it was, was it 88 or 98? I can't remember the year. It's getting foggy. Sorry about the boomer, boomer comment. Gosh, I am a boomer. And I remember that just getting into this field, desktop publishing and internet was, and I used to belong to certain lists, joke lists, and I would print everything out and I kept a binder of all of the jokes and the conversations. I physically printed everything I got in the emails because I, I was afraid it would go away. I didn't know how it was going to be saved. So uh, yes, going back, we got a lot of history here. Thank you so, so much to the three of you for, for your sharing. I'll just say sharing. Now is the time in the show when I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie, a song, a TV character, nothing too terribly serious, but interesting. And the quotes have nothing to do on the surface with our topic today, which is empowering people with AI to thrive in the age of with, which we've loosely defined at the beginning of the show. So Darwin Deanna has sent us a quote from Freddie Mercury, played by Rami Malek, in the 28 Queen biopic film, Bohemian Rhapsody. And it was a story of the legendary British rock band queen and lead singer, Freddie Mercury, leaving up, leading up to their famous performance at Live Aid in 1985. And the song this is from is the most streamed song, Darwin, from the 20th century. It's been downloaded and streamed. Are you ready? 1.6 billion times. Wow. The song. Now here is the line. When I know they're listening, when I know I really have them, I couldn't sing off key if I tried. I am exactly the person I was always meant to be. I'm not afraid of anything. Darwin, relate this to the age of with for us, please. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, so when I first saw that uh, movie and that line delivered, um, I, I I had goosebumps. It was like dr- dr- uh, um, sipping hot soup on a cold winter night. You know, I, I really felt something about that line and the way it was said. And um, I was reflecting on it. And it's all about flow. It's all about being in that state of purity where you are where you are meant to be. And And I thought about that for this topic because I think... AI can unleash that flow in a work context, right? So you don't need to be a rock singer to feel that flow or a high-level athlete to, to feel that flow, right? My, my workplace is my stadium, my computer is my instrument, and I am flowing because of the capabilities that AI has enabled. And I think that, that it, it, is not, it is not a side topic. It is not um, an or, it, it, it's, it's an end. It is bringing those two together, the human and the AI, and to unlock the future of work. So I, I, I hope that evokes the kind of um, um, internal perception that you know, I think we collectively believe is what you can achieve powered by AI. Darwin, that was poetic. 
Thank you very much. That was how you took that quote and turned it into the flow and the future and the empowerment. And what we're talking about is the collaboration of machines and humans. That was absolutely beautiful. So let's go to our next quote. We have Kosh, and Kosh has sent us a quote from Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, in, of course, The Matrix. I think the movie celebrated its 20th anniversary last year, Kosh. And wow. on all of my radio shows, everybody was quoting The Matrix. And this is a quote I haven't heard yet. The Matrix is the American media franchise consisting of three movies. The Matrix was the first in 1999. Oh, so far back then. The Matrix reloaded in 2003 in the same year The Matrix Revolutions created by writer-directors The Wachowski and producer Joel Silver. Morpheus is a fictional character portrayed by Lawrence Fishburne and in the video game The Matrix. So here is the quote. Sooner or later, you're going to realize just as I did that there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Ooh, this is deep. Kosh, tell us about this. What does this have to do with our topic? Well, I, I, you know, you just gave me the sort of the, the composition of timeline of the Matrix, 1999. Just, gosh, it uh, seems so far away. I still remember watching the movie. Uh, it, it came out in theaters, and I did the whole midnight show back in the day. Uh, you know, I know going to theaters these days feels like uh, an eternity or the concept feels lost, but... It was a midnight show, stood in line, got into the theater, got the popcorn, the Twizzlers sat in the chair, and came the movie. And I'll tell you, after the, uh, I don't know, it was an hour and a half movie, uh, I left the theater going, I don't know what I just watched. Uh, it, was, it was just, it was epic. It was, it was completely different, right? It, uh, it had never been done before. And, and, and again, I was hooked. I went and watched it again. And, you know, of course, I watched the whole trilogy the, the reason why I kind of chose the topic and, and, and the movie in general, I mean, it kind of correlates to the conversation we're having today, which is machine plus humans. Um, and I remember there's a line in the movie, not the line that I've used here, uh, you know, when he's in the car, you know, going to get into the matrix where they feel like he's been bugged. Uh, and one of, the, one of the, 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 the folks in the car, they go, okay, copper top. Uh, and and I, that, that kind of stuck to me because it was kind of indicating uh, humans as batteries for machines and, you know, how mm. machines and humans kind of work together and it's a symbiotic relationship between the two. But anyway, the, the, the quote that I, I used and I feel is, is kind of resonates to us is um, knowing the path and walking the path. And I think when we talk about process automation, AI, we all know what it can do. Um, you know, we've we've been we've been surrounded by it for I would say many many years. You know, we talk about some of these high tech organizations such as the Apples, the Netflix, the Googles, who use data to kind of create um, value and then also create automation based on that. And 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 they have kind of taken the know the path and walk the path concept. And I think it's time now where organizations and companies need to have a a radical mindset change because they understand the concept, but they're not, they're not necessarily taking the step forward and then engaging their organizations, their, uh, their business units to get into the path of automation. So uh, yes, it's a fun term. It's, it is the buzz term that everybody talks about AI automation, but you know, you have to take that leap of faith, change your mindset in regards to how you want to employ automation into your organizations to take it forward. 
Thank you very much, Kush. Appreciate that. And always wonderful to get new quotes from The Matrix. Thank you so much. And let's go to Steve Hatfield. Steve has sent us a beautiful quote. It's been popping up recently, Steve, on other shows, and I'm not sure why it's so popular, but the quote is from the song Imagine by the late, very great English rock musician John Lennon from his 1971 album of the same name. It's the best-selling single of John Lennon's solo career. And uh, he said much of the song's lyrics and content came from his wife, Yoko Ono. And in 2017, she finally received co-writing credit. And they say that several poems from her 1964 book, Grapefruit, inspired Lennon to write the lyrics for Imagine. And the line, of course, we all know is, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. This makes me cry, Steve. Steve, I understand you have a backstory here you may want to share about this song and its writers. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, well, well, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, John Lennon has always been very important to me, um, in part because he's such an artist of many sorts. We think of the music, but there's also his artwork, his drawings, and finally his his social his social sensibility, his the political movements that he was sort of responsible for, and the way he would get us to think. Well, it turned out as you know my life progressed, um, my husband worked for Yoko Ono, so he was responsible for the licensing and publishing of John's artwork. So she's been a little bit of an interesting character in my, in my world, not just through um, my appreciation for John before meeting Patrick, but, you know, beyond that. Uh, and, and so I often find myself when I'm thinking about the work I do, right? It's really about helping the organizations I'm working with to imagine this future, to think about what is this preferred future that we want? How do we want these technologies to sort of operate? How do we want to elevate what humans do to achieve their potential? And, and I think the art of the possible is really in front of us. And unfortunately, we'll talk more about it in this discussion, is that often we're not thinking expansively enough about what truly could happen. And that's part of what I take as my responsibility to, to, to what Kosh just said around, you know, helping that mindset shift to happen. Thank you very much. And and I appreciate both of you mentioning MindShift. We talk about change management, although I haven't heard anybody say that in a long, long time. But the mindset is referring to the human part of the equation, right? The mm-hmm. human part of the collaboration is changing them. If the humans have a change of mindset, then they can instruct and teach the AI to have that change also, but we're still driving the whole process. So, okay, here we go. It's time for the discussion, the round table. I'm starting off with you, Darwin. I'm looking at your statement number two. I think this is provocative and very telling about the age of width, which is our topic. If you're just tuning in, by the way, this is the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve presented by Deloitte. And our topic today is empowering people with AI to thrive in quote, the age of width. And it is trademarked. I don't know who owns the trade. Does Deloitte own that trademark, Darwin? Do you know? Oh, wonderful. Okay, I should have said that in the beginning. There we go, a new phrase. So Darwin has sent us the following statement. I'm going to read it. It's very short, to the point. And then Darwin will expand it or unpack it, as they say on the news, for about two to three minutes. And then I will, here's the, I call it the magic sauce. We'll invite Kosh to come in and agree or disagree with Darwin. Don't be afraid to disagree. And then Steve gets the pleasure of commenting, agreeing or disagreeing with Darwin and or what Kosh said. So there you go. Here's the statement. Everything is disposable. Just let that sink in. The age of width demands an open mindset. What possibilities emerge with AI for my work? What skills do I need to develop? Do I keep going, expand, or terminate? 
wow, Darwin, this is packed. So take it apart for us, please. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot that's horrible about um, the pandemic, but there's also some silver lining, right? You know, um, you see um, uh, fish swimming in the in 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 Venice again, and you know, a lot of things happen because uh, it's not as polluted, etc. But one of the big things I think that we learned um, uh, as we go through the pandemic is this, which is that everything is disposable. Right, we have a lot of artificial constraints, right? So there are hard constraints. For example, uh, when you think about what happened with the Suez Canal or what happened with the oil pipeline, I mean, these are things that are really hard constraints that the businesses need to deal with. But everything beyond those hard constraints are really artificial. So I have a business that manufactures uh, alcohol beverage. Because of the pandemic, I pivot and dispose that and manufacture. Um, uh, hand sanitizers instead. I have a business uh, that manufactures retail. Because of the pandemic, I manufacture masks. So some models that I would have done, I dispose because it's not necessary, I pivot, right? So that's what I, I'm trying to say with everything's disposable. Um, and I think that mindset is critical for success in embracing AI, Right to to not be beholden to um, what exists today. Right, um, stop. You know, in 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 car terms, if I focus AI on automating the internal combustion engine, I would be missing out on the possibilities that I could do with an electric car. Right. So it, it's all about being open and embracing and understanding that. It's not about automating what I do today or applying it to what I do today, but all the possibilities that exist. Very interesting. Thank you. That's that's thought leadership at its best. There, Kosh, agree or disagree with what? You know, I would I would I would love to start with disagreeing with my friend Darwin, but I unfortunately can't uh, because I agree with everything that he said. Um, I think the the disposable concept is 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 very true. But it's not disposing. It's not disposing people. It's not disposing yeah. value. It's not disposing yeah. um, that. It is. It's you know. Uh, I'll, I'll use the the analogy of the car. Right. Once you drive an electric car, to me, and, and maybe this is a very controversial statement, but if you drive an internal combustion car, it's like using a rotary phone. When you use a smart Apple phone, why would you go back and use a rotary phone? Right. I mean, it's. Um, the, the premise is the electric car gives you even more. So the thought of not necessarily not driving a car is not there. It's, it's using an elevated experience using artificial intelligence and AI. Um, and I, and I, and I believe the, the, the intent of, uh, intent of automation and artificial intelligence, it is to elevate the experience. It is not to diminish, it is, and it is not here to dispose the people or the value. It is to absolutely elevate. So something that we were doing that seemed archaic can actually be pawned off to some uh, um, automated fashion so that the user, the individual, the person can elevate their experience, get into better thought leadership, strategic thinking, rather than doing the mundane everyday tasks. 
very much. I think some people keep rotary phones around just as an antiquity <laughs> to say, look, I remember when. I still have green bar paper from when I was coding in COBOL on a Xerox mm-hmm. Sigma 6 CP5 before Honeywell bought Xerox in the 1970s. So some of us, and I have my silver cover COBOL book, some of us keep the antiquities, but you're absolutely right, Gosh, why, why would you want to miss out on, yes, the future of where we're going? Steve Hatfield, we would appreciate your coming in and joining us. Agree or disagree with all of what both of your co-panelists said. Go ahead, Steve. I absolutely agree. Right. It, we, we've already been talking about it in terms of that mindset shift. You, you, need, you need to not be constrained by the way in which we've always thought about things. So in some respects, unfortunately, because the first and second and third industrial revolution sort of shifted the way that we went operated economically. So Frederick Taylor and Taylorism and time and motion studies, and it's about productivity through throughput and output. Like all of that is really uh, creating a bit of a constraint in how we think about what's, what needs to come next. Even the economists sort of pointed it out. They started to reference something called digital Taylorism back in 2015, meaning that we were taking current processes and just automating bits and pieces of them. And so well, why should we be doing the process at all? Back to um, uh, Darwin's point about the carburetor, right? We should be stepping back and thinking, well, what's the art of the possible with these toolkits? One of my favorite orthodoxies of the current um, environment is that, oh, no, no, we're all in a hybrid and remote working environment. We can't innovate. And the reason why we can't innovate, according to the orthodoxy, is because we can't sort of connect serendipitously at a coffee bar. But in reality, right, the AI toolkits that exist today can actually scan, if you will, the information that's now digitally available to us based on the fact that we're all operating on these digital tools. And it can actually help, in some respects, start to connect dots across various teams that need to be thinking about doing things and perhaps take us in a different direction so we're not um, dependent on serendipitous interactions at a coffee bar, but actually on toolkits that can help us connect to those others in our organization that could spark different and new innovation. And that's just one small example of the technologies exist now if applied differently, and yet we're all stuck in an old mental model. And so this whole debate about we can't innovate in a hybrid world continues, when in reality, we should be shifting into, well, how do we innovate in a hybrid world with these technologies? And that's the key. Steve, that's a perfect segue to where I'm going next. But Darwin, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists who added so eloquently to what you said? I, I you know, it, it, it's amazing to me, right? Um, I love what Steve said about, you know, paraphrasing. It's not about if you're going to embrace AI, but focus on how you're going to embrace AI, which mm-hmm. is really powerful. And what Kosh said about, um, you know, paraphrasing again, everything is disposable except the people. The people are the heart of the business. And how we surround the people with the capabilities to take that business to the next level is exactly what we're talking about. So, no, I, I, I'm just very happy to, to hear the perspective. Thank you. And we're, we thank you for a great conversation starter, Darwin. We appreciate that. Let's move on. I'm looking, as I said, Steve gave me a perfect segue, I think, to Kasha's first statement, talking about ensuring AI adoption through user experience. So the how and the the if and the going forward depends on 
the fact that people are using it have it have the opportunity. So he says, companies are always excited about the potential of AI, but struggle with user adoption. AI is great as a concept, but difficult for the everyday user to pick up. Kosh, you said a lot more. I'm not going to sit here and read it. I'd love for you to expand it for us, please. Kosh, go ahead. Oh, I appreciate that, Bonnie. And, and you know, I, I'm going maybe a little bit double-clicking from philosophies to sort of the 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 key challenges more at an operational level. Um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, why is the iPhone the iPhone today? Um, you know, when we look in the market today, Apple's iPhone is, is clearly the market leader. Um, it is the go-to gold standard of what we believe a smartphone should be. Um, however, uh, there are other products in the market. Samsung has one and other competitors have one. But the reason the iPhone stands as premier is because of the experience it provides. Um, it is easy. It is consumable. It, it just feels organic. And, and that's, that's sort of the tie-in to why I think companies and organizations struggle a little bit with automation and AI because it, the wrapper of the user experience is missing, right? It's, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's at the end of the day, it is a tool. But if you can parlay it with an elevated experience, um, your your user will want that tool, right? And they will always go to that gold standard. Um, we we sometimes uh, organizations sometimes forget that uh, automation is just an additional tool in the toolbox. You know, I hate to kind of use that over and over, but if you are able to wrap it in a in a friendly manner i think the adoption could even be faster and quicker um, and that's where the age of the wit becomes even more powerful think about the premise of uh, uh and i and i think they still have it today remember when you used to open up uh, microsoft word and a little paper clip uh you know would show up on the bottom and it would say you know how can i help you uh do you need a new template you know do you need uh, do you want me to change the font you know, that, you know I, I, I use that because if we could create that type of experience uh, for, for organizations and users, the adoption of AI, the behind the scenes would, you know, of course would do the work, but the experience would just be even more impactful to the, to the, to the future of work. You know, Steve had kind of mentioned, how do we, how do we change that? And if, if you could just come into your everyday uh, office and you had to kind of do your 10 tasks, but you had a digital assistant to help you with it, wouldn't that be just an elevated experience for yourself? Thank you very much, Kosh. Another provocative statement, getting down to how do people feel and think and move forward about using it in the first place? How easy do we make it? How much leading do we have to do to make it, a, a, can I say, an attractive experience, a I want to do that experience? Steve Hadfield, please join us. Agree or disagree with anything or everything Kosh said. Go ahead. So the, I agree with what Kosh is talking about. I think it's, it's, it's absolutely about elevating the human and the human experience. But I think it's going to go even further than he's indicating. So we're talking about most things moving into a, way, a world where it's voice activated. Mm-hmm. So suddenly what's happening is you're not maneuvering through your desktop to try to find information on various apps. Early on in the pandemic, a study came out that the typical large enterprise has over 200 applications on its desktop. And you know, the human is this middleware trying to figure out how to maneuver between them to find information and put it into a, 
a story or a deck or whatever it might be. The world is coming where we're going to interact with our quote unquote desktop through voice activation and ask sort of the, the, the digital assistant that Kaush was talking about to sort of go find the information necessary and to write the first few paragraphs of the report and provide us with some initial insight. And of course, we'll have to read it and make sure it tells the right story and, and test it and ask the right questions. But it's going to become that level of interaction and exploration. And then suddenly, you're talking about humans doing what we're naturally good at. And so adoption is a different thing. You know, telling, asking a human to ask good questions and explore different problems and tell a story and communicate, those enduring skills that we need to bring to the table will be much more this, the, 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 the way in which we operate. And so it's about, um, it's about sewing the technologies together in a way, using the AI capability that we're talking about in a way that just continues to elevate that. And once that's in place, the adoption will be seamless. Thank you very much. Very interesting. You said something iconic, and I put it in the chat for, for husband to see, and you said humans are the middleware. That I, I've never quite heard it put that way. Thank you very much, Steve. Very interesting. Darwin, join us. Agree or disagree, if you dare, with your two co-panelists on this one. Go ahead, Darwin. I know. I I, I generally agree. And the as, as both Kosh and Steve are talking, what came to mind uh, to me is is uh, is the golf swing, right? Once you start worrying about grip, plane. Um, hip position, feet position, it starts to be, get very confusing and overwhelming for the beginner. Um, but if it's intuitive, if it's natural, it, it's great, right? So I think 100% agree that user experience, you know, simplify, accelerate, integrate, get trust um, using all the technologies that are available to us is very important. And especially with, as I look at the technology angle of what, um, Kosh and Steve uh, uh, mentioned, um, with the proliferation of 5G, with quantum, as we start to play around with IT and OT and things like smart factory, uh, it, it's a completely different conversation in terms of what user experience you enable. But um, I think it goes back to the fundamental that, that Kosh highlighted, which is user experience is what makes AI stick. Right, they have to like, they have to be excited and 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 um, and honestly happy to, to to leverage AI. And I think if we if we follow that fundamental question um, in any AI work that we do for our business, um, we'll be successful. Thank you very much, Kosh. Really good conversation starter. Would you like to say anything back to Steve and or to Darwin? No, I think they've summed it up and added the right commentary. So I think we're good. Thank you very much. And I'm reflecting when I have trouble using something, when something doesn't work, I won't tell you what operating system I'm on, but it recently eliminated the search capability in Outlook email. Can you imagine trying to find something that you know was there two or three days ago, putting in a search for a term or for the person's name, and it says no results? 
Can you imagine living with that? So where did I go from my user experience? I went online and I looked at the forums. Was anybody else experiencing this? Was it just me? Was it a problem with something on my setup? Why wasn't the software? Why wasn't the infrastructure? It came back a month and a half later, but it was a month and a half of agony of not having a search capability. So it's interesting, the the idea of community. I'm going to expand. I hope Deloitte doesn't mind us, but the age of with to me is the age of with other people too. It's not just technology. It's other people are they right, Steve and, and Darwin and, and Kosh? Other people, because the people you turn to are going to be people who said, yeah, I had that problem or how did you fix it or what do you suggest? We are still going back to the people level. And speaking of which, I'm going to move on to statement number three from Steve Hatfield. This is very interesting. Steve says on this quest to to instill the idea of automation AI in the workforce. He says, broaden the workplace lens beyond physical to, I don't even know how to pronounce this, P-H-Y-G-I-T-A-L, digital. Recognize the role of culture and leadership in creating an optimal workplace environment that maximizes the potential of all workers. I'm going to stop there. There's a lot more. Steve, talk to us. This is interesting. So the digital workplace is that new mix of physical and digital. And you know, earlier we talked a little bit about the 200 apps on the desktop and humans as the middleware. And what we learned through the pandemic, back to some of Darwin's earlier comments on the silver linings, was that we can actually work pretty comfortably in a, in a hybrid work environment. And that many organizations were already rather distributed, large global organizations, multi, multi-national, um, multi-country, and working in various cities. And, and already we were sort of operating with this mix of physical and digital, but we haven't really thought about the digital, right? And to some extent, all that was being talked about was the physical. So doing things like creating different office space that had like cool ping pong tables or making sure there was a coffee bar or whatever it might've been, right? And, and suddenly we're all working in this virtual environment. And admittedly, there's a variety of workers that were not able to be in that environment and thanks to the essential workers and what they did. But many organizations use those digital tools to even help them do greater social distancing on the factory floor, back to smart factory and things like that. So it it impacted a variety of worker types. And so now we're in this place where we start to realize that we have to rethink that mix of the physical and the digital, that the inadequacies of the digital workplace need to be solved in order for us to not be that middleware. And suddenly we're in a conversation about, well, what is the work? What is the work itself? And if we can elevate outside of the parameters of bad process back to digital tailorism and start thinking about it in more expansive terms, you get into this dynamic of what you even raised, Bonnie. It's about teams exploring and creating and and crafting and producing and developing. and, And it's about that level of production and creativity. Mm-hmm. And it's about them needing to be together sometimes to do that best yeah. or figuring out when they can be, be apart, but how to be apart, but connected in the right way. And through that new mix of physical and digital, you create sort of that new elevation of humans in that environment. And a, a huge portion of that will be the AI toolkits that bring that to life. AI actually becomes part of a team. In our Deloitte trends, in the human capital trends, we talk about this phenomenon called the super team, where the machine and the humans are working together on the team. The AI is part of the team, and that's how it will begin to unfold. And then 
it opens those doors on what does that mean in terms of the way that we work? What does that mean in terms of the way that we lead? What does that mean in terms of the culture that we create and the team environment that we have? And suddenly all those things come into play to create the right digital work environment. Thank you. I feel like I've just been been at a present at a lecture and learning learning something very very deep. Thank you, Steve. That's that's a lot of great information and perspective. Everybody is smiling. I've got us all on speaker on full gallery view here. Uh, Darwin, whether you know it or not, you are at this moment in time sitting figuratively and digitally next to Steve. So why don't you comment, agree or disagree, and then Kosh is waiting in the wings to pounce on this one. Great topic. Go ahead, Darwin. It's. It's a very, it, it's, it's interesting, it's surreal uh, to talk about it from this perspective, right? Because on one hand, if you reflect on the pandemic um, and the reality that this, this remote workplace will remain a reality for at least in the near term, um, we all essentially sleep and eat where we work. I mean, it's a completely different paradigm, right? Um, so uh, I, 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 I agree. Um, I, I'm intrigued more than anything with uh, Steve's perspective about if we embrace the concept of AI being part of the team, I, what it evoked for me was it's almost like a question of diversity as well, Right. Basically, instead of dealing with somebody from a different race, color, or origin, or preference, you're dealing with a technology that wants to integrate, can integrate, and, and can be and can elevate um, the performance of the overall team, just like in any diversity conversation. So, it's I am intrigued, and, and my mind is racing in terms of ideas, in terms of you know what. W- there's a lot of downstream implications with that mindset. And uh, I'm still processing, to be honest. Wow. wow. Steve, look what you started. <laughs> Kosh, join us, please. Go ahead. No, I mean, just a, a very powerful statement by both Steve and Darwin. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is, it's honestly true. I mean, elevated, an elevated workforce or an elevated experience is, is absolutely the key. I mean, if you, you know, and I think we as a firm also are looking, I mean, at the end of the day, when you use terms like next generation or, um, you know, the, the, the lead change and all of those terms, you know, but if your everyday processing is still hands on the keyboard, I mean, you're, you're, you're not really synonymous with those terms. So, you know, how can you, how can you sort of elevate the thinking into uh, changing the paradigm shift a little bit? So I think to, to what Steve was kind of mentioning is how do we ingest AI into your everyday work experience to kind of get us there? Um, and and to, be, to be honest, I think uh, if we as organizations, and I'll speak for us, we want to attract the next generation of talent. It can't be the traditional hands on the keyboard type of mechanisms anymore. Um, people want, you know, people want the elevated experience. They want to be, they don't want to do the everyday mundane tasks. They want that to be pawned off. Uh, I use that as a very, uh, you know, key term, which is an automation can handle all of these tasks for me. And then I, the person would like to be involved in strategic decisions 
some more powerful thinking, some thought leadership, something cutting edge that we, we need to be involved in. And that's, that's what the next generation is looking for. So if, if, we, if we can't figure out how to craft the, the, the uh, and I don't know the exact word, the digital, uh, digital, digital. Digital, uh, <laughs> mindset, I think it's going to become a, a huge challenge for, for companies going forward into the future. Thank you, Kosh. Steve, before I go back to you, I want to add one more thing. I'm listening to what Kosh said. People want to be able to not do the mundane, repetitive, boring. Okay. But to me, that brings up the word contribute. They want to be able to contribute something that's theirs. And they want to say, look what I did at work today, or look at what I'm involved in, not, okay, I pushed this button 500 times and we made 500 more pair of jeans. It's somebody asked me a question and I had something to say. It's, it's I'm doing more than just the same back-end financial process all the time. I contributed. This is, maybe it's, it's an ownership thing. It's a little bit of ego. It's, this is mine. I did this at work, and the way to do that is to expand the human potential. On that basis, Steve, we have time for one more statement. We have a seven-minute crunch here, but I'm looking at Steve's number four statement. I think it would be a good segue from where we've been going. He says, navigate the redefinition of the employer-employee relationship in light of all these changes. And I'm thinking the change would be, if AI is a member of the team, who is the employer? Who is the employee? Who is the manager? Who is on the line reporting? Is it a dotted line? It is a, what does the org chart look like? Steve, you're, you're, you're bringing up all of these thoughts. How dare you? This is why we have these conversations on the, the Kinetic Enterprise, is to bring out these ideas. So Steve, why don't you quickly give us a little unpack of this, and then we'll go around the table, and then we'll have to finish. Go ahead, Steve. Well, there's a lot that you're already connecting the dot on, Bonnie, right? So so the employer-employee relationship is going to become vastly different. over the, And it's already begun. You're seeing that through employee activism. You're seeing that through the nature of the talent dynamics that we're experiencing, the extreme shortages. And, and so this, this dynamic of that relationship is going to be part and parcel of the next wave of how organizations have to think about how they are bringing the right talent to the table at the right time and how they're organizing that talent correctly and well and how they're creating that experience and oh, by the way, to the points that you've all been making, in our latest human capital trends, 93% of the respondents felt that belonging was the most critical factor to creating organizational performance. And when, when they said belonging, it's not about, um, I feel connected. It's actually, I feel comfortable, I feel connected, and I understand my contribution. And my contribution is what's driving my desire to be part of that organization. And so suddenly you have these teams organized against getting things done, doing interesting things together. And so the kinds of organizational models that will start to emerge are the ones that you start hearing about, like at Fujitsu or at Hi-Air, where they call that micro-enterprises, networks of teams that are operating together, contracting with each other to get things done. And suddenly it's a very different, dynamic, fluid, resilient kind of um, exciting organization. It's, it's an umbrella of many startups all doing very cool things. And that's very different than the first and second industrial revolution yeah. sort of hierarchical sort of org structure that we think about. We're, we're moving from that now. And so that's where it's all going to go. Thank you very much. I, I was just 
typing into the chat to Darwin, we need a part two of this conversation because it's way bigger than one show. Darwin, why don't you quick, I'm looking at the clock. We have three and a half minutes till I have to close. So Darwin, quick comments, Kosh, then I'll tee you up after that and then we'll say thank yous. Go ahead. Oh, perfect. No, I I, I completely agree. I I think the implications to the business operating model and org structure are just beginning to be understood. Hmm. Um, Transition to pod structures, as kind of Steve was describing, product-centric organizations, right? Um, But also, maybe I would posit, instead of an employer-employee relationship, it transitions to an orchestrator-orchestratee relationship, right? And the humans are the only effective orchestrators, right? Um, So, um, so yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I plus one on the part two. (laughs) <laughs> Kosh, go ahead, join us, please. No, I mean very powerful, and I and I and I, and I totally agree. And I, you know, we're we're slowly starting to see the the premise of the operating model change. Um, we, you know, pod structures are, you know, both Darwin and I have been uh, involved in in, in, a, in a few conversations with organizations that where the pod structure has actually been a, a topic that, you know, they, they sort of evangelized and then from there sort of implemented and then have actually started to see, um, you know, a, a very positive reaction. Um, and I think it's just going to, you know, there'll be a domino effect in regards to how that um, operating model is going to be consumed across organizations going forward. And I love the term that uh, I think, Steve, you used um, micro enterprises, right? Like a, a phenomenal term. Uh, I think that's, you know, no longer is it going to be the hierarchy model. It'll, it's going to be these mini pockets or mini enterprises within a large organization that are, that are going to work together, um, leveraging AI and, and sort of, you know, thinking about futuristic sort of movement forward. So, um, you know, impressive thoughts. Impressive panel, I'm going to tell you all that. The the thought leadership here, I think you've all redefined and elevated the term thought leadership because you're all sharing thoughts that are so interesting and provocative. Right, Darwin? Darwin, look, look up. There we go. We got you on gallery view here. I can see you. Don't write. Talk to me. And the idea that we can have this conversation and explore, I'm looking at, that's the beauty of my doing this on Zoom. I call it the nuanced delivery of of thoughts here. Not just Darwin knows I've done this on the radio, radio on phone for 20 years before I moved everything to Zoom last year. But I'm looking at the surprise and the reactions of of Kosh to Steve and Steve to Darwin and Darwin to everybody. And I'm I'm looking and I'm saying, we are coming up with ideas here. Yeah. We sparked them. We spawned them. This wasn't reading to our listeners. We're not reading slides. This is not a scripted show. This is live thought leadership at its best. So on that note, I'm going to say thank you to all of you. It has been a real privilege to get to speak with all of you, share a few of my ideas and bounce your ideas off of each other. This has been a phenomenal and to to hasmine every show i tell her this was the best one and this was another best one of the best of the best so darwin tiano thank you i know you're so busy darwin we have to go talk about playing drums offline yes absolutely i have another drum story for kosh morale it's such a pleasure to meet you steve hatfield i can't count the number of new iconic buzzwords that you said during the show today (laughs) i I lost track of all of those of what you said thank you again to helen tomas at deloitte for sponsoring for so long uh and 
hello also to our showrunner, Hasmin Bolanos Flores. Hasmin, it's a, such a pleasure to work with you. Natalie Butlin, hello. I know you tried to come in the Zoom room, but we were in the middle of a conversation. Maria Rectumwall also. And thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. Aaron was 26 when he joined, working with me three years ago. He's now 62. We put him through his paces. I'm Bonnie G. Graham saying thank you all. Tune in. We'll have another new show in two weeks. This is the Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. I hope you've enjoyed and learned as much as I have. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.